Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we'll continue in the book of Romans with a message entitled, The Necessity of Preaching. So join Dr. Newfeld as we open our Bibles to Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 17. Missiologists, or people who study missions and the unfinished task before the church, talk about what they call the 1040 window. It's a rectangular area of the globe covering North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. It's called the 1040 window because it's approximately between 10 degrees north and 40 degrees north in latitude. That part of the world has about 4.9 billion people living in it. The preponderance of the world's poor live there, and it's that part of the world that has the least access to the gospel on earth. About 62% of people living in that part of the world have not only never heard the gospel, but have almost no access to it if they wanted it. There are no churches in their area, and they have absolutely no opportunity to respond to the gospel. I want you to imagine over 3 billion human souls living among over 5,500 people groups, often living in mega cities where they could be reached, but having no access to the saving message of Jesus. Often strong restrictions and persecution have made it extremely difficult for the gospel to be heard there. But whatever the reasons, the fact is, billions of people in our world will be born, will live, and finally die without ever having heard the name of Jesus, nor of the saving news that he came to bring. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 15.34. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this, writes Paul, to your shame. Indeed, after 2,000 years, when Jesus first told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, until now, there is still a great part of humanity that has no access to that which can save. You know, several issues come to mind. The first is that the preaching of the gospel to the world was always a part of the Old Testament. When God first called Abraham, a part of that call recorded in Genesis 12 verse 3 was that, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now that blessing of the earth, and not just the blessing of the Jews, is in fact woven into the Old Testament. In Exodus 12, verse 48, a provision is given for the Gentiles who want to partake in the Passover. That provision is repeated for emphasis in Numbers 9, verse 14, where it says, And if a stranger sojourns among you and would keep the Passover to the Lord according to the statute of the Passover and according to its rule, so shall he do. You shall have one statute both for the sojourner and for the native. Now, furthermore, even though the land of promise was given to the natural descendants of Abraham, it was also given to bless the Gentiles. Leviticus 23 verse 22 says, And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, which, by the way, is the Gentile. I am the Lord your God. You know, the theme of blessing Gentiles continues throughout the rest of the Old Testament. For instance, when Solomon dedicated the temple, listen to a part of his prayer of dedication, which is recorded in 1 Kings 8, 41-43. There Solomon prays, Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. 
when he comes and prays toward this house, here in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel. You know, it's for that reason that it was important to have a court of the Gentiles in the temple, a place where even the uncircumcised could go and find out about the one true God. It was always intended that what God would do to Israel was for the benefit of the whole world. You know, it's for that reason that the book of Jonah is so telling. I think some of us have misunderstood that important book. No, the theme of the book is not don't run away from God. The theme of that book is the evangelization of the Gentiles. You know, the book opens up with a call of Jonah to preach to Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire and a great enemy of Israel. Jonah was to preach against that city and inside that city. But he rebels. He will not go preach to the Gentiles. But eventually, because of God's mighty hand, Jonah is forced to go, and for three days he walks through the city calling out, 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. He offers them no hope, no knowledge of the one true God, no account of what God has promised Abraham and the hope of the whole earth. You see, Jonah hates the Assyrians, and he waits so desperately for their destruction. And then after having preached, Jonah wanders outside of the city and waits. But inside of the city, something marvelous is happening. The king of Assyria himself clothes himself in sackcloth and calls for the entire city to repent of their sins and plead with God for mercy. But outside the city, we find the angry and embittered prophet of God. And then as God spares Nineveh, we find out what the entire drama of the book is really all about. I'm reading Jonah 4, verses 1 to 2. And there we read, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Now listen to what it says next. Jonah is telling God why he never wanted to preach to the Assyrians in the first place. He says, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, that's a quote taken directly from Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. You know, the incident in question happened during the time of Moses when Israel had made a golden calf idol and God was provoked to destroy them. And the reason why God doesn't is because he reveals his nature. He's gracious and merciful. And over 750 years later, Jonah remembers those words and sitting outside of the city of Nineveh, filled with hatred for Gentiles, whom Jonah wished God would destroy. He tells God, I always suspected that your mercy toward Israel was also mercy to the Gentiles. And that makes me angry. I don't want you to be merciful to them. Now, in a real way, Jonah's attitude was the attitude that many in Israel had to the Gentiles. You know, during the time of Jesus, the term Gentile dog was common. When returning to Israel, many Jews would shake off the dust off of their clothing lest they bring defiled Gentile dirt onto their own blessed land. Examples of hatred just go on and on. Indeed, you'll remember what so outraged the good citizens of Nazareth, so much so that they were ready to throw Jesus off a cliff. Here's what Jesus told them when they demanded that he do the same miracles in their hometown as he had done elsewhere, and he gave them an emphatic no. 
Listen to his inflammatory words recorded in Luke 4, verses 25 to 27. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who is a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. See, isn't that fascinating? Jesus mentions that it has been God's pattern at some remarkable times to pass over Israel and bless the Gentiles. And the text said that when they heard Jesus speak that way about a God who blesses Gentiles, they were so filled with wrath that they rose up to throw him from the brow of a hill. And now we come to study Romans 10, 14 to 17. Romans 10:13 ended by saying that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and the point is that the God of the Bible has always been the missionary God. It's not that the New Testament suddenly introduced a new concept of God's love for Gentiles and unreached peoples that was always there but it was resisted by many and still is today. But something did change in the New Testament, and that's significant. In the Old Testament, Israel's national life was to be a draw for nations to come and learn the one true God. But in the New Testament, something new has begun. If everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, then the followers of Jesus are to do much more than build a church and invite people to come. They are themselves now, for the first time, to go to the Gentiles. Find every place on earth where unreached people are and make sure that they know that they are given an opportunity to respond to the glad news that Jesus saves. You see, you can't believe that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and then go on as if it didn't matter. If one is saved by simple faith, then that message must be preached to the whole world. And we'll continue with more from Dr. John Newfeld in just a moment. As the month is quickly coming to a close, I want to remind you of your opportunity to ask for your free CD copy of Dr. Newfeld's recent series, Finding Forgiveness. Dr. Newfeld describes the series like this. If you've started out well and have fallen into disgrace, is there no hope for you? If you've harmed others, are you now outside of grace yourself? If you once knew the passion that burns within, the passion to sacrifice all for Christ, but are now an individual who has brought reproach to the sacred name of him you claimed as your Savior, is there hope for you? I believe that I can offer you hope, healing, restoration, and a renewed passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. So ask for your copy of Finding Forgiveness before the month comes to a close. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or email your request at info at backtothebible.ca. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld. I'm reading Romans 10, 14 to 17. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? 
So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. There is in these words a very simple progression of logic. Paul asks his hearers four questions. And if the answer to those questions are obvious, but those obvious answers nonetheless must be considered carefully. Once considering them, they should change our attitude. Let's take Paul's four questions one at a time. Question number one, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? The question follows the very simple statement Paul has just made. Salvation, he says, is so very simple. If anyone will call on the Lord, and here he means the Lord Jesus, the one who died on the cross and rose again, if you call on him as the thief did who hung on the cross, you will be saved. See, no matter how complicated we might be tempted to make things, the thing itself is not complicated. See, hanging there on the cross beside Jesus, one thief acknowledged his sin. He said, recorded in Luke 23, verse 41, we are getting what our sins deserve, he says. He realizes he's a sinner. He acknowledges that he deserves crucifixion and damnation and death. But of course, the thief is not done with that. Next, he says, but this man has done nothing wrong. He knows the man beside him is innocent, but he knows more. He asks Jesus to remember him when he enters into his kingdom. And in that, the thief acknowledges that Jesus is the great king, destined to reign in the heavenly realm with a place of power. And on that basis, he pleads with Jesus, remember me. He calls on Jesus to save him. Anyone, says Paul, who does that is saved. It's that easy. But Paul's question then is haunting. How can they do that if they do not believe that Jesus is Lord and capable of saving them from sin and the great judgment to follow? If there is no confidence in Christ's saving ability, they will not turn to him. And so for Paul, the real question is simple. People must be helped to see who Jesus is. They must be presented with the evidence from his miracles to his ability to rise from the dead to his own resurrection. That's what it means to believe. I remember years ago having two immigrants showing up in my office. They were men having been sent on behalf of their families. They said that they had heard that the Christian God was raised from the dead, and they said they didn't understand that. And so for about an hour, I told them the story of Jesus from his birth to his resurrection. And when I was done, there was silence. And then one man asked, what does that mean? And I simply said, it means that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Now those men went home to tell their families of an amazing man who had come to save. And with that, Paul is ready for the second question. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? See, you can't gain confidence in Jesus until you hear the account of Jesus. See, I find it amazing how often I have heard Christian people say, I just want my life to be a witness. Listen, we are not witnessing about our lives. I wonder if we Christian people have understood that. We are witnessing about Jesus and his power to save. Don't you say, I'll just live my life and that will speak volumes. Here's Paul's question. How will they call on Jesus to save if they don't know who he is and what he's come to do? 
Listen, even if you feel unfit to be an evangelist, you can memorize a five to ten minute short presentation of the life, ministry, and death and resurrection of Jesus, which includes his promise that all who find him find eternal life. You can begin to learn to tell his story. And so Paul asks, how are they to call on Jesus to save if they are not confident he can save? And then how can they become confident in Jesus until they have heard who he is? Now the third question, how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, the word for preaching is the word kirudzo, which means to proclaim. It means to make a verbal proclamation. I wonder how many of us have heard the words supposed to have come from Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel, use words if necessary. And then that gets traded around as if that reflects wisdom. Listen, according to the Bible text, words are necessary. It's not that we use words when everything else fails. Words are the means whereby we describe the person of Jesus. A preacher or a proclaimer must be found. If none is available, none will hear. And then comes Paul's last question. How are they to preach unless they are sent? Now, if you can remember, you might call to mind one of the reasons Paul wrote Romans and spelled it out in Romans 15.24. There he wrote, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Now, in context, Paul is explaining his unique ministry. He's been preaching the gospel, first in Asia Minor, then in Greece, and then on to Rome. And after that, he is compelled to go to Spain, where as of yet no one had heard. He needs the Roman church to pray for him and to support his evangelistic efforts so that the world will hear. Sending means financial support and and prayer support. Now, from what we've read, I'm about to say something that for some will be most controversial and to others will be more than obvious. There are some who claim to do missions by digging wells for clean water, setting up hospitals, and providing the poor with farming techniques that are sustainable, providing food relief in places of crisis, and helping to establish education and other things that lift the plight of human beings. And all that is good and laudable, and furthermore, it is necessary for all of that is commanded in the Scripture. But if the gospel is not preached, they cannot be saved. It shows utter contempt for people that we should care for their physical welfare and ignore their eternal souls. I, for one, would not give a penny to a missions agency that does not train their workers to proclaim the gospel. I think it a complete waste of money that we are a kind of Christian UN relief agency instead of preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is not just I who think this. This is at the heart of what the Bible teaches. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how will they know of the one who saves unless someone tells them who Jesus is and what the gospel is? Use words if necessary. Words are absolutely essential. And now in order to bolster this conclusion, Paul adds, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news might I say, how important it is for us to hear this. That's because every once in a while, even in Christian circles, I'll hear someone suggesting that those who feed the poor and preach the gospel are in some manner abusing people or merely taking advantage of them in their most vulnerable estate. 
He hear words like, you're only using the feeding of the poor for evangelistic purposes. You're just trying to bolster your numbers. And behind those statements is the assumption, how beautiful are the feet of those who feed the poor, and how beautiful are the feet of those who remain quiet about the only answer to their eternal state. Listen to God's assessment of this matter. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. There is no more laudable thing that we can do than to proclaim who Jesus is and what he has come to do. Paul has quoted Isaiah 52, verse 7. The passage tells of God's coming salvation. Even though Israel will face Babylon and a great judgment, what is so necessary in Israel is for someone to preach a long-term hope, and in the context of Isaiah, a hope that after the present sufferings of Israel is done, God will return and give them an eternal future. And so Isaiah 52 verse 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. In other words, who tells the people of Jerusalem that Babylon does not reign and doesn't have the final word. God, when he establishes his kingdom, has the final word. Until you lift people beyond the immediate in order to see the long-term salvation of God, they cannot be comforted. You know, the Bible demands that Christians not be like ancient Israel and hide the good news from those who have not heard. It demands that we tell and even proclaim that those who are going have beautiful feet. John, another great message. You know, we believe in partnership, and we partner with an organization called Compassion Canada, and there's a reason for that. Can you explain that reason to us? Yeah, you know, Ben, when I came on here at Back to the Bible, uh, I think that partnership was already in effect, and I was so delighted. I mean, I just felt so at home because, uh, as you and I know, Compassion Canada is all about compassion. So especially in terms of uh, sponsoring children and caring for the needs of the poor and lifting up those who are beaten down, I mean, Compassion Canada, that's their marker. But the wonderful thing about Compassion Canada is they always, throughout their entire ministry, have kept a preaching of the gospel and declaring of salvation. Uh, The amount of people that have come to Christ because of what they have done uh, makes them, I think, Ben, a wonderful partner for us, right? I think you would agree with that. Yeah, it's an excellent partnership, and we do so much not only with Back to the Bible Canada, but with Laugh Again and the L.A. Tour coming up. They are a wonderful partner, and we're so grateful to have them as, a, as just part of our like-minded ministries that work together. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Partnership in ministry is a value we sincerely believe in at Back to the Bible Canada. Like-minded ministries working together for kingdom purposes. So I'm so pleased to announce that Dr. John Newfeld will be a keynote speaker at Promise Keeper Canada's upcoming conferences across the country, including Toronto, Ottawa, Winnipeg, and Edmonton, as well as in Abbotsford, British Columbia for the Promise Keepers Legacy Conference event this coming October 22nd at Gateway Community Church. 
men, for all the information you need or to register for any of the Promise Keeper events, visit promisekeepers.ca. Or to discover what's up and coming for Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again, or In Doubt, visit us at backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. And please, remember to pray for and support Bible teaching ministries across the country.